what I try to tell them and, and I try to practice this is, and I saw it in the workplace in my prior career, is that you're going to be up in the 95th percentile if you wake up, get up, show up. And you don't have to know exactly what to do, but just start working on things and you will get amazing things done. You know, you may be brilliant. That's wonderful. But just keep showing up. And if you have the right philosophy and the right belief system and the right values, you, you know, you combine those things and you can, I believe anybody can do just amazing things. Being prepared for when things don't work out as planned is very important. But planning for failure is not planning to fail. Fate has ordained the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. These are the words from a speech that President Nixon had prepared in case of a failure when the US launched Apollo 11 to the moon back in 1969. But President Nixon did not have to use this speech. Instead, he used the other speech he had prepared, namely the one to be used in case of a successful moon landing and return. Having a plan B and being prepared for the unexpected. Well, that's what we're talking about in today's episode of Top Traders Unplugged. Welcome back to Top Traders Unplugged, where the best traders in the world come to share their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Let's rejoin the conversation with your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup Larsen. if you take care let me <clears throat> this is sort of a, a, a spur of the moment so let, let me try if i can formulate this uh, correctly so it makes sense so i have two young kids and i guess in particular my my daughter amelie she had a phase a few years ago where she loved hannah montana <laughs> so <laughs> we often had to sit down and watch her you know her movie in which there is a song called the climb And what the song is all about is really that we all strive to get to a top of something or the end of a quest, uh, but that the real joy and satisfaction we get should not come from reaching that top, but it should come from the, the climb to the top, i.e. the process of reaching our goals in life. Is, is this kind of where you are? Are heading and and actually say you know I I take enough joy from the process of putting my trades on every day and 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 it you know let it take as long as it takes but it it's enough for me to be part of this journey. Absolutely, and I was hoping you might burst into song, but uh, <laughs> appears you won't. Um, not, not today, Rob. <laughs> all right, maybe offline. We'll. I'd like to hear you do that, but. Um, No, I, I agree. That's that's really it, um, and it and it's a lot of fun. I mean, for you know, I've tried to express that earlier. That it, it just sort of appears to be in my um, DNA that 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 I love the campaign. Um, you know, my 20 years of of windsurf racing. I mean, you know, it's basically you know, if, if you, and, and I know it's very popular in Europe, or at least used to be. Now everybody 
kite surfs, right? But sure. back in the old days, you know, you'd, it, was, it was sort of this messy affair where it looked like it was simple, but, you know, it wasn't easy. And then, you know, you go from just being able to get on it to then get it to move and then, you know, and then, you know, to r- get right to the chase is you're, you're now basically trying to take this thing as fast as you possibly can through the roughest water that you can find and you're being chased by other really fast racers. I mean, just to go, just, just the idea that you could get to that point, it just it's, it's makes me get up early and, and, and hit it hard every day. So. <laughs> well, from, from, from Hannah Montana, I want to jump uh, to uh, something completely different, as to say, and that is your track record. And, mm-hmm. You know, not specifically, but you've mentioned uh, in the last uh, you know, hour that we've been talking about a number of changes that you've made and, and the fact that you do research uh, you know, continuously. But so how do we... How does how does investors read your track record? How do they make sense of what they're buying if they're buying from you? Um, how how do you help them along the way? Well, the um, probably the uh, the simplest way uh, you know to start with this is something that you mentioned earlier. Is I'm I'm not trying to do. Um, the job of the big uh, the big guys and the big trend followers that offer um, you know incredible opportunities to capture you know it's a popular term now is crisis alpha sure. you know you're you're I may I may not have that for you but I've got some other I've got some other things so from a track record standpoint people will look at um, Vanguard and uh, see you know the the climb in the early years and then the the flat spot which you know also covers the MF global situation and then um, ultimately my my switch to go up time frame and so I essentially explained to them. Um, you know that cutover point, which was um, July of 2013, when I went to a multi-day holding period, and the rationale is um, many of the same methods. Basically, it's me using the same methods, the same way, thinking about trading the same way, just on a higher time frame, managing risk, um, getting a little bit of diversification. Um, and you know, basically knowing that uh, I'm not creating the holy grail, I'm just creating something that um, offers a unique return stream. And in, in the case of Vanguard, it's multi-day. Um, you know, to generalize again, U.S. financials programs. So people kind of look at that and they go, "Well, okay, you're intraday, and uh, and you know, there is a story there, and you had plenty of you had plenty of assets." So. You know, and I can I, I tell them I've managed, you know, simultaneously I had 125 clients, you know, while I was trading the intraday program, and you know, and a lot of this is just staying organized and uh, being willing to do whatever it takes to make money for the client, um, and I, and I would add in interesting ways. So, you know. Uh, you can look at the track record now and you can see that I've been putting in new equity highs for a number of months now. But when I switched over to uh, this new method, it was it was no easy task. Sure. Um, I was in the deepest drawdown uh, to date, to intraday. Um, I had a vision of what I wanted to do and I had to make that leap. And once you make the leap and you tell somebody that you're, you know, sort of changing fundamental characteristic, um, you know, shifting the marquee value to something else, 
you know, you're going to lose. So I lost, you know, uh, probably two thirds of my remaining clients. And I had to basically buckle down and, and begin to trade up with the confidence that, you know, not a sure thing, but the confidence that in the end, this, this was going to be the best way to go forward. And, uh, yeah. Staying with that theme, clearly you've lo- you've launched a couple of new strategies, and and as you say, it's always difficult when you have to tell a client that you're changing the strategy that he or she's invested in. I mean, mm-hmm. going forward, and given what you've learned so far, I mean, is it too difficult actually to do that? I'm not talking about small research changes. Uh, we know they they take place all the time, but is it actually easier to launch a new strategy? Um, where you don't have the issue of potentially losing two thirds of your assets, um, and just say, you know, I'm gonna, I think this is a better approach, so I'm launching this new strategy. But you know, feel free to stay with the old one if if, if you want, or or are you planning on continuing to to make these the changes that you think are right, regardless of what uh, changes in, in in assets that may lead to. Well, I think that the situation with Vanguard was unique because, uh, um, you know, I'm I'm not out banging the phones every single day and uh, 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 raising money um, like that's the only thing I have to do. I really depend on the databases and uh, some visibility. So uh, when faced with the choice of basically, you know, erasing my existing track record with Vanguard and starting fresh with, you know, whatever, you know, Vanguard number two or whatever you want to call it, going multi-day, the, the rationale was, is why would, why would I have Pacific Capital Advisors' lights blink out, you sure. know, in the marketplace? So, so um, you know, I don't, again, I don't think my rationale was, was uh, too far out of line because it's, it's me trading essentially, you know, the financials in, in similar fashion up time frame. Um, you know, uh, my belief now is that I need to have, well, let me, let me say that I think that what you're describing and what we're talking about is just such an incredibly difficult part of this job as a CTA because you constantly, maybe this isn't, let it be unfair, right? But I've constantly received pressure from people about how, you know, how you shouldn't change, limiting change, um, what are you doing? and, but the answer is, is these, these markets change. They're changing faster now probably than they ever have, particularly the financials. And you have to have a response if you're going to work for people and make money for them. So my philosophy now is that I think people – I would express to my clients that you know, it's really not as strict as they would like it to be. I think the strictness comes in – expressing each program is having an operating envelope. Mm-hmm. So the declaration that um, with Vanguard that I've got, you know, the S&P, the S&Ps, and then the 10 and the 30, um, well, I can certainly stick to that. And it's got a margin to equity, uh, you know, sort of risk range, you know, again, part of the envelope that it operates in, you know, the general holding period and so forth. But the details within that, try not to worry so much. You know, um, we can operate within that range. Now, 
there is a point where you need to, you know, it becomes a material change and you certainly at least need to declare it to other people so that they can sure. back out or whatever the case may be. But try to think of it as an operating envelope giving guys like me and any, especially any other beginner who has a specialty product, you've got to give us some room to move. And I think that's what's going on like with Terra. I believe the same thing. Like it's, you know, it's livestock and it's grains. Why aren't you trading, you know, people would say, why aren't you trading beans in there? Well, because it's a big, powerful contract and it can, you know, really change the the way it operates. Maybe it'll get added later. Don't know. But there's the envelope. Sure. Risk, markets, and uh, direction that it's going. Sure. I hope that answers your question. Sure, sure. No, I mean, that, that's fine. And I think there is generally this uh, debate and this conflict between um, investors uh, not really wanting you to change, yet they want you to innovate. And those two things are very difficult to uh, to completely uh, align. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, but, yeah. you know, you find a compromise. And, and as you say, the, the most important thing is to make sure your, your investors uh, understand the change and, and usually they will give you the, the, the benefit of, of your expertise and, 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 and stick with you. So, um, so I, I appreciate that. Now, let's move on to the heart of the strategy, namely the, the programs itself. Now, you have three programs, so we may not be able to, to cover all three and maybe there is some commonality between them. But I would love for you to dive into um you know either one really but if you want to stick with vanguard we stick with vanguard so but just tell me in your own words how you've structured the program from from a top-down point of view and and why have you designed it uh, the way you you have and if there's a sort of particular philosophy uh, behind uh, where you are today uh, with the strategy well, Vanguard is uh, an interesting place to start. I'll 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 make a I'll take a crack at covering both of them. Um, you know, with all the time staring at the S and P and characterizing it, uh, <laughs> trying to characterize it every which way from Sunday to trade it effectively. I mean, um, it's certainly structured around uh, what I believe to be the nature of it. You know, you've got a long bias. It's it's a it's a stock market in, index and um, it has shifted over time, and I've certainly lived through a lot of that. Uh, you know, we could you could look at uh, trading intraday from 2003 to 2007, where you could, you know, sell tops and buy bottoms and just kind of hang around and make money. And then suddenly it started to trend more and had more momentum characteristics. And uh, so I I tried to roll I tried to roll the best of what I think will work going forward based on my experience in the past. Um, So I've tried to construct um, basically three strategies and roll them together for the S&P. One is a long only, which, you know, has, um, can, can take a breakout or it can uh, buy on limit on a, on a dip and it does have, and it does have targets. So it's, it's, it, 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 uh, it likes to be long and uh, and it likes to take bites, not right. necessarily run with the trend. And then if we sort of move up in the stack, I've got a um, a strategy that um, is really sort of trend following and momentum based, and it has a lot of determination to stick with trends for uh, 
as as long as it can. Okay. And that that was particularly tough because the S and P goes through through periods where it's you know it just really it just chops around and and so um, you know I've tried to get the best compromise uh, so that we can capture what clearly in the last few years has existed is just this incredible upside bias. So try to capture that. And then the scariest bit of all is how do you figure out how to short this thing, especially in recent years. And so I've got a, another strategy that is short only that rides on top of, on top of those guys. And it's, I would say it's, you know, not promiscuous. Um, It is, it's, it's careful, Mm. but, you know, you have to have a way, um, you know, to get short near tops on occasion. And I, sh- I should mention that that, that momentum-based one will go long and short. And um, so theoretically, we've got exposure. If we get into a long downtrend, um, it can get into a short position, stick with it. Um, however, it will be doing battle with the other strategy Um you know, trying to get long and so forth. So this is, you know, this is the challenge is that there is no simple answer, but you've just got to sort of uh, attack it with the best set of strategies uh, you can. Sure. And do you use the same three strategies for the 10 years and the 30 years in Vanguard? I mean, is it really that, you know, uh, you, uh, you you develop the same, you know, model no. parameter sets? No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys, you know, that that does individual uh, strategies for individual markets, okay. and so um, while you know, as as I like to say, um, they may all be dogs, but those different breeds sure behave differently. Um, so the ten and the thirty, uh, if I was to characterize them, uh, I I really go for a mean reversion entry on those. Um, because, you know, those markets, by my observation and testing, tend to stretch and then rubber band back, and that gives a bit of an edge on the P, um, sure. for better P&L getting in. And then in some cases, depending on how it plays out, it will, it will get out on a target if it's wobbling around in a range. Um, but... Uh, thankfully, if it's uh, with if it starts to exhibit the proper characteristics, when it's in a position, it will continue to stick with it for long periods of time. Um, long periods being, you know, um, the last year and a half, I've had you know month month and a half long trades that have have worked out well. So it's almost like it's a mean, it's a mean reversion strategy with an option to stick with a winning. Um, okay. Uh, trade. Interesting. So that, yeah, and, so that's and, kind of the two. And can you trade? Can you treat the 30-year and the 10-year exactly the same or even between those two you have to have slightly different parameters even though even those two are different so i should probably describe what it is i do to develop these and why it's different um and and it applies to everything that i'm doing now is um you know i you know back to the old days you know get a big portfolio line up the data and then begin to you know essentially add rules you know you pick the core rules some filters um you know and you sort of work your way through to find out what singular uh or you know small subset of strategies that you can run across all of those markets and that has a particular process i'm very familiar with um um, and then when you get into the single market stuff, you know, the challenge is getting enough trades to have, a, you know, to, to build what you believe is a, uh, a non-curve fit um, system that, uh, you know, has some statistical, theoretically has some statistical reliability going forward. So 
my my challenge is is how do you get enough data? Well, there's a few things that work in our in our favor here. Tenure and and uh, you know those financial products uh, go back to having been pit traded back into the 80s or even the 70s, and um, and as, also with the uh, with the agricultural products as well, they go way back. So um, we have a pretty nice long data stream, and um, the catch here is is that if if you, you you need to work on what I would consider to be a short time frame, you know, an average trade of typically being, you know, between, let's just say, four and eight days. And so when you sort of, when you look at it that way and you look at many, many years like that to uh, develop on and then even hold, uh, and of course you have to hold some of the data as out of sample to, for validation, on that short time frame, um, you can you know, it gives you an opportunity to really find out what sort of, I call it the thumbprint of the market is. So to go back to your, your question, um, there is a difference between the thumbprint of the 10 year versus the 30 year. Um, and, and the, the S and P is certainly different than, um, the other stock indices and most of them don't go back very far, um, which presents, you know, other challenges. Um, and so, so that's what I do. Is I, and what what I find is that, I mean, it's really lovely when a trend appears, you know. And if you're fortunate enough to have a position on the right side of it, and you hang on, you get, you know, these wonderful um, trades. Really, the the dirty work and the hard work is is how do you how do you survive those consolidations and the difficult periods, and what what sort of details and and um, vagaries associated with each of these markets, you know, how can you sort of suss those things out and without adding too many uh, rules, hopefully very few, um, essentially not curve fit it, but find a way to do better during those tough times while clearly enjoying, um, you know, the majority of the big moves uh, with momentum and so forth. So, sure. so that, that's generally it. I mean, some people would argue and say, well, actually, the way you survive those periods is by through diversification, yet you've chosen to be very specific in your uh, in the portfolios of each of the of the programs. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I know you said, you know, people can choose and they can put it together. But have you ever been tempted to say, let me just put together the best possible program and let it include all the markets that I think is necessary to have you know better performance sure. during the times when you know maybe the financials are being a bit tricky yes <laughs> <laughs> um you know actually in my disclosure document i have a program sort of on the books uh, called spectrum and um i don't have the seed capital for it just yet but it is um it sort of covers the rest of the the ground that we haven't talked about, and, and you know, to, to your question here, you know, what about the energies and you know, there's there's other markets, there's other sectors, sure. and then collectively, how you know, how can you sort of build a machine and and uh, mush forward with it? Um, and so, spectrum would be that. I, what I would exempt from it, though, um, at this point, is I wouldn't trade the ags and the softs. I would require people who wanted exposure to that to subscribe to the Terra program. And the reason is this, that 
you know, anytime I design, you know, a program or a product now, I, I really keep liquidity and capacity in the front of my mind. And uh, I experienced back in my intraday trading periods, I mean, uh, I like to tell people is that I, I created new and interesting charts in the, in, the, uh, in the Russell 2000 with the size I was trading and its lack of liquidity. And it was just incredibly difficult. And I, you know, I made a commitment to myself to never find myself in that situation again. Mm. So having said that, when you look at the liquidity uh, available and the size that can be traded in the ag markets, I think um, I, I don't want to undermine the, the performance of the Terra program by trading those same markets over in, in um, this program I call Spectrum. So they would be exempt, but pretty much everything else is on the table. Right. And, uh, you know, um, I, by the way, I don't only have uh, – I think what I should mention is that I have called an inventory of strategies. So even though I'm running, you know, uh, a, essentially a subset of what I have in inventory, and it's what I think is the best stuff to run at the time, and it's very sticky. I don't, you know, change it out. But I'm constantly generating inventory of other strategies that run on other markets, and it's not just the, you know, the single market, single strategy. It's um, uh, I do have portfolio strategies that uh, I've also developed and they're, you know, like I have a grain strategy, I have a, you know, a, a currency strategy, um, and, but they're all portfolio based. So they, they've been designed to work together in a portfolio. Sure. So I would invoke those as well. Sure. And, and just on, on, on the program side, does that, you know, Terra, for example, does that then also mean that each of the markets in here Will have its own, uh, not just models, but 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 also parameters, uh, and or do you actually trade some of the markets completely different? Not just where with slightly different parameters, but maybe use you know maybe using different types of models. Um. Yeah, um, the um, Terra really all of those all of those markets um you know i enter on a stop right you know, i make the market come and get me i don't sure. you know, i don't you know put any limits out there so that it can they, i can get filled and then and then have you know limit up or limit down for three days just for okay. kicks uh so there's they use very similar entry tactics um there's there's a lot of commonality with them um where they really differ and it's and i don't want to I mean, I don't use, you know, an oscillator that I twist a knob on, um, you know, for a look back. Uh, you know, I have, I have a few uh, stable, un, you know, unadjustable blocks, and they have very short look backs. And then I combine that with, um, uh, depending on the market, there's certain, you know, I use nerd stuff here, Boolean expressions, so that I can, so that I have... I can identify patterns for when to get long, short, or out, you know, reverse some of them. Well, all of them will actually reverse periodically. Um, so, you know, the answer is, is that uh, entry tactic is the same for all of them. Um, their overall behavior is very similar 
um, in that um, there's a trade-off. Uh, you know, hopefully you'll you'll enjoy this. You know, a, a true trend follower might sort of sniff at what I'm doing because I don't have a rule right. that says, hey, you know, if this market's getting away from us, you know, this is last call. You've 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 got to get long or short. You know, you've got to go with the direction because you can't afford to miss this trade. Well, in my case, I'm not dependent on any. I'm not my my entire program isn't really dependent on uh, not missing the big move. Um, but in fact, the trade-off is is that in each of these markets, with each of these systems, generally I will catch big chunks, and in, in some occasions, all of the big moves. But there's no guarantee that, you know, there's no guarantee that I'll get um, all of it, and sometimes not even uh, the majority of it. It's just the price that you have to pay. Um, it's, it's a trade-off. So in, in, in other words, essentially you are more selective in your entries. It's not just about it breaking above a 30-day high and, and bang, you're in. Right. No, it's, there's, there's, particular, there's particular setups and patterns um, for, for, you know, and again, uh, sort of if you think about it in the business logic, sure, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get long at yesterday's high or short at, you know, the prior day's low or, you know, some variant of that. But in the business logic, there's there's other setup elements that are 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 tied to uh, you know again, looking back at you know thirty or forty years of uh, combination of electronic and pit data. Um, yeah, you know, I, I should I should mention that as well is that the electronic markets you know are do trade differently and look differently than the old pit markets. Um, you know, sure. in the uh, in the uh, in the ags and so forth uh, and, and other places as well, but um, what I do is I try to only trade during the liquid time, so I don't, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I can't get in when Globex opens and you know trade right. into a vacuum. Right. Um, I use custom sessions to make it so that um, I'm executing uh, or I, I'm available to execute orders. Um, really, you know, back. Um, Aligning with uh, the pit hours right. still. Right. That's where the liquidity is. Sure. And fortunately, when you you know when you look at the data, recent data in the last you know eight to ten years, um, that's electronic. It, it merges nicely with the pit data, and um, you can you can divine the thumbprint and uh, execute in liquidity. Sure. So. And for your momentum trades or trend following trades. Do you have like a, a favorite indicator you just think is more reliable? And I'm not talking about specifics here. I'm not you know, I'm not asking, not asking for, yeah, you know, 30-day high will be better than whatever. But, but just generally speaking, because there is obviously the debate about do you use moving average oscillators or do you use price breakout or, or whatever it may be. Um, in your research, have you found anything that you think is more robust or better at you know, identifying when trends start? Um, but I, I'd like to say that I've found that I can be wrong on all counts all the time. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, but um, I, I can't, there's no, there's no particular, you know, there's no particular ind indicator of sorts. It's really that combination of, um, you know, do we have the setup, um, you know, in the business logic, and then um, can it finish off with enough momentum uh, to get me into a trade? Sure. Right. Um, and and then 
uh, kind of the fun part of it is, is, um, and I really enjoy trading Terra in particular because you get into these, you get into these little tight areas where, you know, I remember just being cut up in prior years and with other programs, and then it'll just sort of ping pong along and actually make a little bit of money, not a lot, but make a little money, lose a little, and generally make some money in in that area, and and then the 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 best momentum trades are the ones where I get knocked into a position in this consolidated area, say in the in the middle of it, and then it and then it it breaks out and continues to to go my direction, but I didn't. You know, I, I, it wasn't part of some, uh, you know, 20-day look-back period or something. I just, you know, through that sort of that, you know, that, you know, niddling little logic that I've got there, I managed to be going the right direction at the right time, and it took off. So uh, that's hopefully helpful, but yeah. that's kind of the way I think about it. And each model is uh, allowed just to take a full position every time, or do you scale in, or how does it uh how does that um, get you into your full position? Yeah, um, my position sizing has uh, thoughts have have morphed. Um, I used to do volatility adjusted position sizing um, over the years uh, with trend following and with my intraday stuff. And with my latest round of research, I've really tried to strip everything bare, and and I don't want I don't want to involve any sophisticated position sizing whatsoever with what I'm doing, and uh, doesn't mean I wouldn't move forward with something uh, later on. But right now, I just do a one lot. I get in with a one lot, and I exit the one lot. Right. Okay. There's no, so there's no confusion um, um, in terms of you know, do I really have? Am I really finding a good pattern and doing the right thing at a very sure. purest level with regard to the thumbprint of the market, or do I really have kind of a slick? position sizing sure. so it's the, really the AUM that decides the number of contracts and nothing else that's right so I'm doing one lot in each of those and um, uh, well you know we're talking about Terra now and that, that's a one lot and then with each of those like when we go back to uh, well Agil Agilis it's a one lot in the, the Russell the you know the Dow and the Nasdaq; those are one lots. And then over on on the uh, on the Vanguard side, um, I, you can only be long to or short to or flat over on the uh, uh, on the S and P side. And it's one lots over in the uh, with the ten year and the thirty year. So it's just very bare bones. Sure, but you know, had, if you had ten times the AUM, you would just do ten lots every time you yep. do one lot. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I love I love that. Sure. Yeah. And and in terms of getting out, I mean, do you use uh, stop losses when you trade, or do you have to wait for a, a signal to to change to get out? Um, there'll always be a you know after we get a position on, there'll be a stop loss in the market. So I I, I do use that, um, and but then there uh, you know obviously um, there's you know there's reversal signals that could. Uh, you know, get me going the other way, sure. and uh, and 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 there's also you know just trailing stops that uh, that uh, chase things eventually, and again those are sort of pattern based and so forth. Sure. In it, you know, besides the uh, the research, uh, which obviously involves a lot of subjective uh, decisions, uh, is there any discretion used in the day to day trading of the three programs? No. Um, um, no, there isn't. Um, but I will. I will say, I will promise you this: <laughs> that if I think something is going, uh, you know, the technical term I use around here is kablooey, um, 
I will, I will shut things down and extract everyone as fast as I possibly can. Sure. Um, so it's really sort of a, I think of it as a, you know, an emergency failsafe is, is really the way I look at it. But I'm not over here sort of, you know, making uh, willy-nilly uh, adjustments or changes. No. Mm-hmm. Let's shift gear to uh, an important topic, which is the sort of the risk management side. And, um, you know, I know that there are constraints when you have uh, limited AUM in, in one way. But on the other hand, risk is something that we all need to think about, uh, really, regardless of uh, the AUM we, we have on the management. So in, in your mind, how, how, what is risk? I mean, what's the risk you're trying to control? Is it the volatility of the of the uh, PNL swings? Is it the drawdowns? What what what's the what's the risk that you're focusing on? Well, there's two within each of the programs. There's two different things to look at, and um, uh, I have to now put a put a plug out there for one of your other guests um, that did the trend following book, uh, so Kaminsky and sure. Katie. so forth. I mean, yeah, yeah Katie. Wonderful stuff because if you consider what's happening over in the uh, financials area is that uh, you know more of a convergent strategy uh, is agreeable with with those sorts of markets um, and that's and 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 that's my sort of tortured existence I have over there is try and catch the big moves um, <laughs> step out of the way when they happen with your mean reverting programs and and, and it, so so essentially the what I am wrestling with over in, in those markets is, you know, it's never really going to be just right. Don't try to make the equity curve too smooth. That means you've probably tightened it up too much. This is my mumblings to myself, right? Sure. Um, and it's, it's going to wiggle up and down, but we, you know, it's, we're configured such that we're, the equity curve will put in higher highs and higher lows, and there will be there will be some, you know, uh, there'll be periods where it's uh, re- sort of relaxed for people to look at their statements, and then there'll be periods where it it may move up and down over the course of four or five days, where you know they get a little heartburn from it. But it's the nature of uh, it's the nature of managing that, you know, that disagreement. Right sure. between those two things, and 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 over on, over on Terra, I mean, I just uh, it's really kind of fun because I I just you let it go. You're like maybe this is you know it's fun. It's, it's all right. Here's the trade. We're long or we're short, and I wonder if this is one that's really going to take off. Um, the danger, you know, the danger of course with any of these is that um, you know there's there's true catastrophic danger. You know, after nine eleven, there's just you know, the idea that the markets could, uh, you know, we could lose an exchange for five days and you're long or you're short. Uh, and, uh, by the way, that's why I just do one lots is I, I, I just, I just think of what it would be like to be over leveraged with too big of a position on one way or the other. And then, you know, planes hit buildings or who knows what, sure. right? I mean, just what, a, what, a, that's really sort of the, the worst thing I think that could happen. But then in terms of, you know, the P&L while we're trading, um, uh, the beauty of 
while Vanguard at least has two sort of, you know, it's got interest rates and, and, and stocks that, that definitely gives some, some diversification because of the difference in strategies and the markets. And then over in Terra, you know, we've got these, you know, wonderfully oddball, <laughs> don't you love them? The, you know, the grains and the meats and sugar's doing something else. And uh, so there's, there's really uh, generally very nice diversification over there. Um, just by virtue of the markets, and uh, and then and then another level of diversification because I'm not trading the same um, strat- exact same strategy on each one of them. So sure. there's some no, I mean, confusion it, there. Sure. No, I mean it's very interesting that you bring up uh, Katie Kaminsky, and and for those who haven't listened to those episodes, it's episode 41 and 42, That's and I think I think what you are saying and i want to try and interpret that is that the concepts of convergent and divergent strategies is really what you're trying to combine and mm-hmm. what 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 katie kaminsky really also concludes is that there is no wrong or right uh, it just happens to be the trend following is a divergent strategy but mm-hmm. at times as we know we all need we need some convergent strategies so it's the combination of the two and i think in 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 uh, from from what i'm hearing uh, in, in, in a roundabout way, that's actually what you're doing by combining mean reversion type strategies in some markets with more momentum-based strategies in other markets. That's pre- that's precisely it, and I'd like to thank you for doing a wonderful summary of it. So, it is very much a divergent um, arrangement in nature over in Terra, and then there's that um, that challenge that we have over in the financial markets, and um, so, you know, sort of roll back to the original premise of what's happening over here is that, you know, you can you can mix and match with what you've already got or you can combine what, you know, Vanguard, Agilis and, um, and Terra and um, you really have, uh, a, you know, fairly affordable, you know, the 100K minimums. Um, and because I don't have a broad portfolio with a lot of pers- uh, 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 participation in Terra, the margin to equity ratio is is quite small. And um, you know, admittedly, I've had some outsized returns in the last few months. But you know, I won't take credit for that. I mean, that's just that's the markets. You know, the markets have handed me some wonderful trades. But the point is, is we can do a mix and match, and you get this convergent divergent uh, combination set. And, um, you know, hopefully that gives you nice risk-adjusted returns for your portfolio. Sure. I mean, uh, clearly 2014 has, uh, although it didn't start like that, but it has turned out to be <laughs> a uh, very gratifying year for, uh, for, for managed futures, CTAs, and, mm-hmm. and trend followers in, in particular. Um, but there's always a, a flip side to uh, when things are going well, and that's really the, the drawdowns that we all experience from time to time. And mm-hmm. when you design your program and when you talk to people and they ask and they're interested, um, if they were to ask you, what kind of drawdown should I expect from, from a program like this? How, how do you um, not just answer the program, but how do you come up with your expected drawdowns in order to give that answer? Well, it's a challenge because they demand an answer and I'd prefer not give an answer uh, that they like. I'd like to, I mean, I, I think that 
no matter what number you give them, you know for sure that if you're around long enough and the wrong thing happens, it would be exceeded. Sure. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's sort of the, you know. That's the, now that's the academic answering the question that if we're around for a thousand years, you're probably going at some point lose all of your money. But that's not really yeah. the answer that we can give. So, no, uh, no, it's, it's so not. So how do we bridge it, that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm not an academic. I'm a, you know... <laughs> You know, I'm a feet on the ground, wrench in the hand kind of guy. Um, you know, I I like I like to take what what I think is the 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 worst intraday drawdown that I see all the way back through time, you know, peak peak to trough, and at least double it. Right. Um, and then what I try to tell people is now that you know that, um, under under allocate to me, please. Sure. Um, you know, start small, get a feel. And because uh, I want you as a client for a long time, so I don't want to scare you away, but I want to I want to give you a number that uh, will give us a, a wide berth uh, to stay engaged while the clock runs forward. Sure. You know? mm-hmm. a, a lot of, uh, I guess, well, probably most managers uh, strive to um, reduce the downside uh, volatility while keeping the upside volatility. But very few managers have actually achieved that uh, in, in my experience. How do you look at that? I mean, do you, is that where you, your research uh, essentially is, is going that if you can, you know, reduce the downside uh, or, I mean, or maybe just rephrase that? I mean, is that sort of a, one of your goals is to try and, and, and improve the downside of your programs? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, really almost all my focus is in trying to understand and control drawdowns. Um, I, I think that good things just sort of happen for us in this business. As long as we've really been diligent in focusing on the risk management and controlling the downside. So um very, very much focused on that. Um, success, you know, um, I think that success will be defined by, you know, your the diligence, the time and diligence that you you put into ongoing research. And um, like I say, uh, you know, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's a huge challenge, but a large component of your everyday existence is making sure that you come up. You know, you wake up with a little fire in your belly, and you're worried. Mm. <laughs> and I'm I'm always concerned with, okay, well, I, I I knew how to make money yesterday. I feel pretty good about what's happening today. We've got it under control. But I'm I'm always concerned with, you know, how it's going to go tomorrow, and what am, what can I do today, uh, and going forward to, you know, limit the downside and. Um, essentially, you know, move the whole business forward with, with all these products. And uh, so it's, it's wor- a lot of it's worrying and it really revolves around the downside. So, <laughs> Sure, sure. And, but mm-hmm. talk to me one thing. And, and, you know, when I look at your, tr- your numbers, I mean, you, you're certainly not uh, one of the managers with the largest drawdown, let me put it like that. So, so uh, but still, you know, there is this emotional impact uh, when we go through drawdowns because one is we, we you know we feel it ourselves but we also feel it on behalf of of investors so i mean how yeah. do you how do you cope with that emotionally when you go through a period of drawdowns whether it's 
you know, not so deep necessarily, but it could be long. I mean, how how do you how do you deal with that? Intensified research and lots of exercise. Sure. Uh, um, none of which may lead to any changes in the program. Sure. Um, but uh, it 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 is it is very very tough. I, actually, the reason that I am configured the way I am right now, um, if we look at the transition, you know, if you can imagine me, you know, with my eyeballs on the uh, intraday trading screen, uh, you know, doing running the business the way I used to, and then you examine the way it is now, where it's more uh, I can do a lot more research, and it's and I get to have a more executive approach to the business. Yeah. It's be, it's because of that. Uh, you know, there's a there's a couple of things. If you have one program and you're in a drawdown, you you know it is uh, for lack of a better term, it is a real beatdown. Right. I mean, it is really hard on you. You know, these people these people have trusted you to trade their money. You know, um, you warn them as best you can, but uh, certainly they're every bit as human as you, and they're looking at the statements and you know they've engaged with you, and it's not that you're failing per se but you know let's when you're making money it's better than when you're losing money and that's you know simply the human condition so again you know i would have to say that because i i'm um, you know my operational because of the operational simplicity that i've got i can have more products or programs and with each program um, certainly, you know, there's there's more to support in terms of having my brain engaged in how each of them is performing and worrying about how they're doing. But if one goes into a drawdown, it's very if it's very unlikely that all of them would go into a drawdown. So usually you can have some sort of a winning area and it's not that you don't want to look at the stuff that's in a drawdown, but sometimes you've got to have something to hold on to. Sure. You know, you're okay and you're making some money for some people and, you know, we're – and most importantly, you know, we're getting some revenue in the door. Um, so in so much as you owe, you know, you owe uh, your clients profitability, you're not in business if you don't have revenue coming in. So sure. you've got to work on all aspects. Yeah. Let's uh, shift gear to another uh, area which we already sort of touched upon, which is the, the research side. Now, uh, many of the guests that I've talked to, they have very large research teams. And what I try to gauge from them is really, you know, what are the questions being asked, you know, when they sit down and they have their research brainstorming sessions. But I mean, in your case, it's quite a one-sided conversation. Um, so, so how, how, what questions are you asking yourself when you sit there and you think about research? Well, first, I try to be polite to myself, <laughs> which is not always easy depending on what's happening. Um, well, there's the maintenance, you know, um, boy, I feel like I'm back in the IT thing here. There's maintenance you know there's ongoing operations you know you sort of have your check boxes are we okay you know the, the variety of you know questions that you might ask yourself uh, is everything okay um, do we need to make any adjustments to shore up our existing products and uh, 
you know, the expectations of uh, how they perform for the clients. That's one whole area which is always present. But then the, the, the new fun, what do you want to do next sort of stuff. Um, what I do, well, there's a couple of things that I've done. I, I think I've told you that I've, I, I'll go off and I'll take a sector. Yeah, basically, I look at the markets because it's, it's all about the markets and what I can find out about them. And, you know, it's sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm spelunking, you know, I'm going around finding this stuff. You, you, you find interesting things, you bring them up to the surface and you say, well, how, we could put these together and this would be interesting and so forth. So I go off and uh, I think I mentioned I have some things that are portfolio-based um, for sectors, you know, energy, metals, um, sure. currencies and things of that nature. Um, and I, you know, as you can imagine, as all of us do, you know, it's, the, you know, Saturday morning when it's still dark, I'm down here plinking around and, and going, basically going through a, a long list of notes and things that I want to look into and then logging everything that I discover or don't discover. Mm. Um, so, you know, um, what I'm doing is essentially, as I mentioned before, building up, um, taking ideas about checking out particular markets or sectors and testing them to see if I can come up with some strategies that work reasonably on them and then put them into inventory. And periodically I'll go back and look, look at them and say, well, you know, maybe we could piece this together and this together. I'm not particularly, um, at this point, let's put it this way, with, with Vanguard, Agilis, and Terra, it's a lot. Mm. And I need to stay focused on it, and that's sort of the production setup, right? Um, but as this inventory builds, um, there will be potential for other, other other products. And as I mentioned, there's Spectrum, right, sure. which which I would de you know deploy reasonably soon. But um, that's sort of you know that's my approach. Um, like I just you know I I had this ongoing battle with cotton. You know, it's like this is bothering me. I kind of found it to work this way, but not that way. And what's wrong with this time period? And do I need to combine it into a portfolio? And, you know, so I sort of have these things that, you know, have my attention and won't let go of me. Um, and I continue to hunt them. Sure. You know? I mean, do you have some objective criteria that uh, the models have to live up to, meaning, um, in two instances, one, I mean, I, I, I am I'm guessing it can be very hard to be completely objective when you're not debating the issues with anyone else other than yourself. And mm -hmm. we we all know that in some ways we we can so easily fall in love with our own work, and yeah. um, and and so it's it's both in terms of what triggers a final decision to say yes this is good enough or what triggers a decision of saying actually this model is not working anymore if if i can put it that way well the first thing you know this model's not working anymore has the implication that i've already put it into production and it's somehow you know given up um the uh but the 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 thing that i will run into um from um from time to time, and actually it's frequent, is uh, there's just markets I can't seem to, I can't figure it out. 
you know, if I, I don't have a good answer, I don't have a good solution. I look at the data, I put my, you know, apply, give it my best shot. And, you know, I, I can't get something that looks like it's worth putting into a small portfolio because it, it appears to not make reasonable money um, year over year. And these are not, you know, you hear how squishy that description was, right? Um, mm. um, you know, I begin to get a feel for, here's what I do, is I, I really look at every trade. I review everything that I'm doing as a, if I think I've got a strategy that's beginning to work. And I... And I begin to look very carefully at um, the the market itself. I really I, I look at each trade and try and see how much it captured or didn't capture. And what I can find is if, if I find that the the market is uh, sort of wild enough that I'm I'm going to have to apply uh, too many rules relative to the total number of trades. I mean that's that's a black mark. You know I'm trying too hard. It's it's starting to look a little curve fitted. Well, you know, so you try you try to work out of that, and and if you can, it still doesn't mean that it's okay, because you could you know I could have something that I you know I build a system on and I try and validate it and out of sample testing and and you know you can't believe that you curve fitted it, but then you look at the data and you say, well, this market can do these bizarre things. And I, st I still can't trade. It doesn't make sense. So, you know, what can I say? Like cocoa. I mean, I don't know what to do with that. Um, coffee, I kind of took some, you know, worked on it. But I, I, don't, I don't have a good answer. So, sure. so the answer is don't, right? Um, what, what, I mean, you mentioned something which I found interesting. I mean, how many are too many rules, say, for a model? I mean, when does it become... Do you think an issue that you're putting too many rules together in order for it to work? Um, in other words, what's kind of the optimal number of rules where you say, yeah, if I can get it to work based on these yeah. X number of rules, it must be pretty robust. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of the, the if, if you can get enough data and you trade on a reasonably short time period like I do, um, if you can get something in the order of uh, you know, between 80 and 180 and 120 um, trades per, and I don't even really call them rules. It's like you know, logic bits or widgets, <laughs> trade widgets, another technical term. Uh, so sort of that you know, 100 to one is rule of thumb. That's just for starters, you know, just to say, hey, we've got a big enough sample and, um, you know, we don't have so many rules that, that, that this doesn't make sense. And then, but then probably most importantly is that um, validating on, on out of sample um, um, and, and seeing what the performance there is on, on unseen data. So are there occasions where I might have, a, you know, that ratio might be a little skewed to, you know, let's say 80 80 to 1 or or something like that sure but the reason that I'll you know that I'll go with it anyway is because I've you know sort of really closely examined what's going on in the market that I that I was uh doing development on and then uh very carefully you know really uh feel confident about how it worked and out a sample so there's some wiggle room sure but actually I think I was going a slightly different uh, yeah. way I was trying to figure out how many rules actually goes into creating more, I, because i think this is something that a lot of people struggle with and this is why we often get 
the labels of black box and, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But in reality, uh, I think when you speak to most successful managers, they would say, uh, you know, simplicity is really the key to, uh, to robustness. So I'm just curious. I mean, so you could say one rule would be, you know, if it goes higher than the 40-day high, we buy. I mean, that's just one rule. But, sure. but in your case, I mean, how many rules do you think on average you have to have in order for a model to uh, be able to get you in and get you out and make a, yeah. meaning, make a meaningful contribution to the portfolio? I mean, are we talking about 20 different rules or... Is it just a handful of rules? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's more than it's more than a handful, but not twenty. Sure. Um, it's you know it gets typically I find myself you know uh, eyeballing it and seeing that you know really I've got it done. Um, really good ones are in the six to seven range. Sure. Um, ones where I'm beginning to question myself get up into you know that nine and ten range. Sure. Um, that's you know sort of hopefully that's sort of the ballpark you were looking for yeah there. no I mean, yeah. it makes sense and but i think sometimes people have the impression that these things uh, are are massively complicated but it, they don't have to be no. i wanted to ask you a no. last question before we jump to the last section and the the question i just want to ask you is when you meet with potential investors and obviously you've been doing this for a long time so you've had a i'm sure a few rounds uh, of of uh, meetings, phone calls, uh, doing due diligence, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm just mm -hmm. curious in one thing, and that really is, what are the things that people should be asking you in order to understand you better, which they're actually not? What do you think they're missing in, in, the, in the due diligence that, that you feel is really important, but maybe they're not focusing in that, on that? <sighs> Excellent question, and... Usually, when we're going through the process, I make sure that I weave in, you know, uh, first of all, none of them are as good as the, 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 the session we're having now, period. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Um, but what I try to do is make them understand who I am, how I react when things are difficult. And I try to give them examples. And I, fortunately, I'm fortunate enough to be around in the business long enough and been through sort of three phases of it. And uh, um, how I, I rationalize, you know, how to handle what's currently going on, formulate a problem, or, or I'm sorry, formulate a, a solution um, to, to really difficult, um, and as we talked about, you know, can be very highly emotional periods. And you know, sort of have the gumption to make make the appropriate changes um, to move forward. Um, so, so how do you you know how do you do that? I, I, I think that uh, you know you have to have these conversations where you get to talk about what happened with MF Global. Um, you know, we we talk about uh, you know how after having learned some lessons, uh, you know how do you make it so that the business is more robust in the long run, so that uh, you know I I certainly love to learn lessons as long as the tuition isn't too high, <laughs> but you know if you've learned some lessons, what are the fundamental adjustments that got made, and you know how did you manage that, and then the final question is, you know how are you going to manage the next serious problem because there's, there's there's always the next one so i try to get i try to find a way to get them to find out 
really who I am. And, and I would encourage them to, to dig in and ask questions that allow them to understand, you know, sort of the, the, the material, you know, sure. the uh, primordial goo that we're, they're dealing with in terms of the trader. Now, uh, let's jump to the last section, and, and this is just sort of what I call general and fun, so there's no real, you know, no real theme here other than uh, maybe just for people to get to know you even even better. Um, and I just have a, a couple of questions. One of the things that I wanted to ask you was, I mean, you're obviously self-taught in, in, in many ways. Um, mm. It doesn't sound like you had a mentor that took you under their arms and guided you um, and I imagine that you probably gained a lot of uh, your uh, knowledge and, and inspiration uh, from reading some kind of books uh, relating to to uh, to trading. Are there any of these books that sort of stand out where you said, yeah, this was a really, really important book for me to 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 take me to the next step? Um, and maybe sure. also in addition to a trading book, maybe just a book that, um what's important for you as an inspiration through your entrepreneurial journey wow that last one will be tough because i was working so hard on the, on the earlier <laughs> ones <laughs> free time is sure. you're implying there's some free time okay well i don't know uh, about that <laughs> so for, i would divide the books into two camps sure. i would like to i would like to really thank wholeheartedly all the people who wrote all the books that talked about all the trading solutions and how to code things up and you know this highs above that low and this oscillator does this and that because early in my career I, I I grabbed all of those and very quickly coded up everything that they talked about and saw it all just fail miserably and I want to I, I it's <laughs> it was fabulous that I was able to dig those things up and just completely debunk all the stuff that looked like it was going to work and it didn't and so it allowed me to clear my plate right well, <laughs> to go find the ones that that sure. might work um so i would i think one of the there's uh tharp has one <laughs> um and i can't remember i have it somewhere in the corner over here which i'm not gonna leave you to go grab but the the thing that got me about that is that, you know it didn't give a lot of specifics and those are the best ones it just kind of gives you guidelines and it it, it, it kind of got me down the path of ha of risk units and volatility adjusted position sizes and and um i i you know back in the early days i just i, I sort of you know used that to retool the way that i thought about um uh risk in general sure. um you know it seems primitive now but i i remember uh as i as i read it and worked with it it was it, it made quite a difference for me and then the other one that i would that i would mention is one called inside the black box okay um by rishi narang um and it's just sort of an expose of how to break down what it is we do flow charts and boxes and you know various models you know one generating alpha versus you know uh 
uh, cost models and so forth. And uh, that's a wonderful book. So I'll just leave it at those two. That's fine. Do me a favor. Send me an email afterwards with the uh, exact name of the uh, Van Tharp book. Then I'll get uh, put it on your show notes so that people can actually see yeah. what inspired you. And uh, maybe they can get some inspiration themselves. Let's... Uh, Let's do it like that. You have children, you mentioned. And yes. I wanted to ask you, if you could pass on just one of your skills to your children, what would that be? And why? <laughs> okay. Th those would be good things that I want to pass on. Okay. <laughs> Boy, I, 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 um, the, I, the things that, that I tell them now, I mean, they're, they're just both, you know, I'm... You gotta love your kids. They're just wonderful, smart, brilliant young people. Sure. And what I try to uh, tell them, and, and I try to practice this, is uh, and, I, and I saw it in the workplace in my prior career, is that you're going to be up in the 95th percentile if you wake up, get up, show up, mm. and you don't have to know exactly what to do, but just start working on things and you will get amazing things done you don't have to you know you may be brilliant that's wonderful but just just keep showing up and um if you have the right you know you have the right philosophy and the right belief system and the right values you, you know you combine those things and you can i believe anybody can do just amazing things sure. so so that that's that's kind of the dinner table thing and they roll their eyes yeah <laughs> dad <you know. laughs> right exactly but i try okay what about a fun fact uh, about yourself rob is there anything that even people who know you may not know about you <laughs> uh, well with all the windsurfing that sure. i did one of the things i did was um I used to do seminars. Um, uh, you know, I just I just found there were so many people that were trying to do well in racing, and it's a wonderful group of people, and they just kind of weren't getting the basics done. So we started having seminars, and I tried to help people out on you know just how to you know how to do better, and teach them a little bit more about racing. And um, after a couple of years, my friend who wanted to uh, also get into the short film business um he says hey come on let's take what you're doing and let's put it on a you know let's let's see if we can sell videos <laughs> so uh we did it it was a lot of fun um i had never done anything like that and uh it's actually out on youtube <laughs> uh, i'm gonna i'm actually gonna tell you if you look up rob hartman in windsurfing you're gonna find you're gonna see me smiling away in 2001 Trying to, uh, you know, through a combination of on the water and on the beach, you know, trying to help you right. be a better windsurf racer. <laughs> That's fantastic. Great stuff. Now, you know, it's not always you have a conversation where both Hannah Montana and President Nixon is involved. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, but I want to make sure that we've covered all the ground that we need to cover today. And... And make sure that, that I haven't left anything out. Is there anything that you think we need to touch upon before we uh, we end our conversation? Anything you feel that we, we've missed um, today? You know, uh, I, I, th I think we did really well. You, uh, you guided me down the path and I, I tried to get into the corners of, uh, of, of all of it when you gave me the opportunity. And I... I I, I think we did well. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Now, what's the best place for people to reach out and learn more about Pacific Capital Advisors, Rob? Well, the website, which is uh, Pacific Capital Advisors 
dot com, and uh, uh, you know the the phone number is on there as well. So you can and and I love taking phone calls, um, and then you know my email address is rob r o b at pacificcapitaladvisors dot com, and uh, you know I I love corresponding and talking and and uh, interacting. Uh, Sure. with uh, clients and fellow traders and, and so forth. So feel free to pick up the phone. Great. Well, thank you so much, Rob. It's, it's, been, it's been a great conversation and uh, I appreciate your, your transparency. I mean, we've touched <laughs> upon some topics which are not necessarily easy, but uh, as you yeah. say, if you don't understand, and it's certainly my uh, uh, opinion, I mean, if you don't understand the story, um, how can you understand the numbers? Uh, so, yes. uh, so I appreciate that. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and of course, the listeners can can check out the show notes on the toptradersunplugged.com website, where there will be lots of uh, links and and points from our conversation today. And uh, and I hope we can connect at a later time and and see how things are are panning out. So uh, with all of that, I just want to wish you uh, you know enjoy the rest of your Sunday and uh, and thanks so much for taking the time, Rob. Well, thanks for having me, and I'm honored to be uh, a part of. Uh, your stable of uh, traders on Top Traders Unplugged. Thank you. My pleasure. All the best. Take care, Rob. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Top Traders Unplugged. If you feel you learned something of value from today's episode, the best way to stay updated is to go on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show so that you'll be sure to get all the new episodes as they're released. We have some amazing guests lined up for you. And to ensure our show continues to grow, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. It only takes a minute and it's the best way to show us you love the podcast. We'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.